Welcome, everybody, to the ENC podcast. I'm very excited for our episode today. Here with me today, I have my co-host, Lynn Bollinger, and our, also our special guest, Reverend Althea Taylor. Welcome to the podcast, both of you. Glad you're here. Good to be Thank here. Thank you. Uh, Reverend Taylor, I wondered if you could just uh, start off the podcast here, telling us a little bit about yourself, the work that you do, what you're passionate about. Just tell us a little bit about who you are. Okay, a little bit about myself. Um, Althea Taylor, born and raised in New York City. Uh, I'm a product of very specifically the Bronx. Um, um, come from a small, tight-knit family, grew up in a Christian home, uh, specifically the Church of the Nazarene all my life, and um, came to faith as a child, uh, surrendered my life as a young adult, and entered ministry about the uh, third quarter of this year will be 22 years that I've been in full-time ministry. Um, love it. Best thing I've ever done but it's also the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, I spent 10 years in corporate America before answering a call to full-time ministry. I am passionate about the Lord. I am passionate about living my faith out loud. I'm passionate about um, speaking up for those who are often overlooked or sidelined. Uh, I am passionate about justice. I am passionate about compassion because I believe Jesus's life is a life of compassion. And so we are called to model compassion in the way that we live amongst each other. Um, and just the whole um, concept in the ministry of reconciliation that we have been given. I've served in ministry in a, in a couple of different um, capacities from a youth pastor in the early days to an administrative pastor to passion for outreach, I mean, a pastor for outreach, community outreach, um, community engagement and community outreach, um, served at the Global Ministry Center in first in Kansas City and then in Lenexa when we moved over uh, for five years as the coordinator for Compassionate Ministries for USA Canada. Uh, and then from there, returned back to my home church here in the Bronx, Bronx Bethany is my home church, and came back here as the executive pastor where I served in that capacity uh, maybe for about 13, 14 years with one year in there being as interim co-inter as the interim co-lead pastor while we were in a pastoral search. Um, I now serve in the capacity on our district, the Metro New York district, as the director for compassion, justice and immigration. And I also serve as the executive director of a national organization called the Immigration Alliance, which is uh, there to equip and coach the church into loving and serving our immigrant brothers and sisters uh, through the church. So that's a little bit about what I do. Um, I love the Lord and I'm very passionate about justice and compassion. Wow. Thank you so much, Reverend Taylor, for sharing with us a little bit about yourself. We've known each other for, I was trying to put the years together, maybe 15 years has probably been more than that, but uh, somewhere around there, and it has been, uh, am I am I getting that right, 15? Um, I think I met you when I came to the Global Ministry Center, okay. so somewhere around that time, so that would have been yeah. around 2007, 2001. so 13, 14, yeah, yeah, okay. about that, yeah, about that amount of time. Um, and we've, we've partnered together on a few things, on some immigration things, I think you were the first one to introduce me 
to the Immigration Alliance. And um, so we've both done some immigrant advocacy work. Uh, mm -hmm. We've done some women clergy stuff together for our denomination. Don't forget about that. Oops. Oh, yeah, <laughs> let's give you props to that. Yes, <laughs> Part of that too. <laughs> I, I think as we think about um, how we enter ministry and the path that we take, there are, there, there are people who have shaped us, who've influenced us, and maybe driven us to action. And I know as people who are engaged in immigrant advocacy, it's often the stories of immigrants that drive our passion, that drive us to action. Um, so I wondered if um, you could share briefly with us about a person in your life who has either fostered your passion or driven you to action, or maybe even perhaps given you a platform to lead others toward action. Is there someone who comes to mind uh, that you would share, share about with us? Ministry in general or towards immigration specifically? You know, either, either way, wherever you feel led at this point to, to share. Well, I think one of the greatest influences in my life, surely in my own personal relationship with the Lord, um, a driving force and witness for me was actually my mom and grandmother. Um, there, my mm. mom lived her faith out loud. Um, my grandmother was unapologetic in who she was as a Christian. And um, so as women, they definitely spoke volumes into my life and I was challenged in my young adult years to stop being a um, undercover Christian um, mm -hmm. to, really, to really surrender my life and, and just be on fire for Jesus. And uh, so I would say my, my mom has been a big influence and was actually uh, my biggest endorser when I came home from work one day. At the time she was at my home, when I came in, she was, uh, was by my house and I announced that I was, had made the decision to come into ministry and she was so excited about it. And I remember she gave me Jeremiah 29, 11 and I said, what's that? She says, go look it up. And I you know, went and looked it up and read it and just wept because she had no idea the conversations I had been having with the Lord. And that verse was just confirmation for it. Um, I've also had others who have been what I call lid lifters. John Maxwell talks about being a lid lifter and a lid lifter in my life has been um, my um, current district superintendent who was my pastor and mentor. Uh, I, the year I came into ministry was the year that he began here at my home church uh, as the senior pastor um, and that's the Reverend Dr. Sam Vassell. And all throughout ministry, he has encouraged me and been a champion for me behind the scenes and in front you know, publicly uh, for being in ministry. And we shared the similar passion when I shared my testimony with him and how I felt my call, the call that God was had on my life for ministry, what I was being called to do and to engage in. Um, we, I realized at that time that he was like, I say handpicked because God gave me a perfect mentor who was coming out of the same kind of ministries I was being called into. My mom was an advocate for um, folks in the margins Growing up, I saw her serve, um, give sacrificially uh, to help others. And so it was, it was modeled before me. 
And I also grew up in an immigrant family and I was the first American born child in our family. Um, uh, I'm the youngest of three, but I was the first in all of our families on both sides. And my, my household became kind of like the um, port of entry for family members who were migrating to the United States. Wow. But I lived, I lived for 13 years as the other. I was the only American in, a, in an immigrant family. Um, so they were immigrants coming to the United States. But um, when we went back to my parents' home, home country, I was the other. So I definitely felt um, the otherness. And then I became sympathetic to that um, because I knew what it felt like. And then uh, while being here, I think I had the beauty of being able to move seamlessly between two worlds because I was intent on being like everyone else in the family. So I adapted to the culture and to the vernacular and to the accent and everything else. And when I was amongst my immigrant family, I was just like them. But yet when I was not around them, when I went to school, no one was the wiser. And so I migrated, i sorry, I moved seamlessly between two cultures and lived, um, I, you know, a, a bicultural life. And so I've been, I think I became passionate about the plight of immigrants just because I come from an immigrant family. And then I lived a reverse of it in terms of every time we went home uh, to what would be my mom and my dad's home when my sisters were born, I lived as the other. And I was, and I didn't like the feeling as the other. Right. So I was sympathetic to it. Wow, thank you so much. I think it's just, I think important for us to hear about, you know, we, we're looking and we're, we're asking you to speak out of your, your platform, um, your leadership, your ministry, but that, that didn't um, come without the investment of other people in you. And now to hear you talk about the way that you're turning that around mm -hmm. uh, to invest in the lives of others. That's, I think it's just an important message to share. Yeah, it's a, it's been a, it's been an interesting journey. And I, you know, it's only in the reflection that I actually get, I see the value and I actually see what God was doing from a very, very early age in my life. Um, I did not, then you don't know, you're just trying right. to figure out how to live, but, or how to blend in or how to do whatever but you don't realize that really everything that we go through in life is preparation for the next stage in life. So, you know, even if you don't like where you are, just hang on, God will bring you out of it soon enough and you'll move into the next phase. But it's only in the reflection that you actually see and get to learn the lessons of what God was actually doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's good. It's good. Reverend Taylor, one of the, um, things that I find striking, even as I hear you talk now and, and think about the video that you sent us, um, is that, I mean, you even, you even talk about this sort of, um, you know, bicultural upbringing or living between these two worlds, right? And it's, it seems to me that in many sort of um, forms or strands of Christian tradition today, we have kind of two different cultures of Christianity almost that you have a certain culture of Christianity that kind of emphasizes like personal holiness, right? Uh, personal responsibility, spiritual disciplines, things like that. And then sometimes you have this other sort of culture of Christianity that emphasizes justice, 
um, and, and defending the marginalized and the oppressed. And so often those are seen as separate, right? Like those, those are almost seen as opposed in some way and we rarely seem to hold them together. But one of the things that I find striking in, in hearing you speak is how much you are obviously holding them together, right? That, that for you, this sort of personal experience um, with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit um, is tied closely to uh, how you think about working for the oppressed, the marginalized, working for justice in the world. So I'd be curious to hear you reflect on that some more, how you see those, those sort of two aspects of the Christian life being connected to each other. Um, well, absolutely. Um, I hold them together because scripture says that they're together. Um, so I am not that wise or intelligent. Um, <laughs> I just believe in what the Bible says and am determined to live my life in accordance with what the word of God says. And so for me, that's why I hold them together. I'm looking, um, want to pull up a passage of scripture and my devices are not cooperating with me right now. See, this is why the actual Bible, it never loses power and it never freezes up on you. Um, <laughs> when you are only reliant on technology, you might be in trouble if it decides to have a mind of itself. Um, but Ephesians chapter two is where I wanted to go. Um, and I'm going to try one more time to see if I can just get in there. Um, Ephesians chapter two talks about the fact of the love of God. And, you know, we're in this season of Lent um, and, you know, we're coming up on Good Friday. We're coming up on remembering all that was done for us on the cross. And that passage of scripture, um, I can't get my devices to function with me. So I'm going to paraphrase and I apologize for that, but I'll try to do as best as I can from memory. Um, it talks about um, the, the act of, of this love that God had for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It talks about the fact that um, God was merciful and took down the dividing wall of hostility that separated us, that Jews and Gentiles are now one, not that they're no longer Jewish and not that they're no longer Gentiles because God does not erase culture, but our, our faith in Christ Jesus supersedes the culture that we come with or that we've learned or that we've been brought into or, or born into. And so it says that the dividing walls of hostility and there's so many things in our world and in our, in our nation, in our culture, in our time that are walls of hostility that we use to be pitted against each other. And that's divided when we come into Christ Jesus, the blood of Jesus unites us, it cleanses us, it frees us, it delivers us. It gives us liberty to walk in freedom. And it says that we have also been given this ministry of reconciliation so that we should be about repairing what is wrong within the world and the con within the world we live in and the context in which we engage the world, both in relationships. And I believe it's also in systems as well. Um, and so Ephesians 2 is a place that is one of the many places in scripture that speaks to that, um, that we are called to, um, it, it, they are not one or the other, you know, when I'm a when I'm a Christian, I don't get the luxury of choosing whether or not I want to be involved in or interested in issues of compassion or justice. Christ's whole act of coming, Philippians chapter two, talks about the fact that um, Christ, that his his whole coming was an act of compassion. Um, Ephesians one tells us that the plan of salvation was put in place long before even the foundations of the earth were formed. That the plan of salvation that Christ would be the one to bring us back into right relationships, the atonement with the Father. That plan was already in place. And we're told that in Ephesians chapter one. And so when we look in scripture and we see 
um, also in Philippians chapter two, this whole act of Christ coming and laying down his life, um, laying aside, setting aside his deity so that he could be clothed completely, fully human, yet fully God, but yet fully human and suffering in our place. Love is what drove Christ to do that. Love is what caused the father to send his son. Love is what caused the son to be obedient to the will of God. And it is love that should be compelling us if we're supposed to be emulating and following the, the acts of Christ. So therefore, that whole act of loving, reconciling, putting things back together, Christ's death pulls down the dividing wall that divides us. It sets things back in motion. Just the whole act of the crucifixion was an answer. It was justice. It was the answer for sin, which is the answer for sin is death. And he stood in our place, taking sin on himself so that we might have the ability to be at one with the father. And scripture also tells us that you can't be at one with the father and at odds with your neighbor. So therefore, you must love your neighbor, even as you love yourself. And of course, we must love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, because that's how Jesus summed up the, the prophets uh, telling of the law. He summed it up in two, in, in two commandments, the great commission great commandment and then the great commission to go and so they're not separate from each other when I accept Christ as my savior I also I'm also called to accept that I'm to be about my father's business which is justice in the world and setting what's wrong right so that they might come to know who he is and glorify him in heaven amen amen I love that um your work has been this embodiment of the intersection uh, or the coming together or convergence of acting justly and loving your neighbor. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I know you do that out of uh, reflecting the image of Christ in your own life. I think uh, as you were talking about the way that this uh, is lived out is it's in our in our contexts, it's in our communities. And you know the ENC community, you've been uh, on our campus, you've interacted with us and with our students, and you know the diverse community that ENC is racially, um, in our faith traditions, uh, from Nazarene to Catholic to Jewish to Muslim to Hindu, uh, we, there are age differences, there's gender differences, there's backstories and histories. And so we find ourselves at ENC in this really, um, this really heterogeneous, diverse place <laughs> and loving our neighbor. It, I, I won't say it's, it's completely easy, but it's easier when we're in uh, homogeneous or like-minded communities. I won't say it's a cakewalk, but it's easier. But when we find ourselves, the challenge comes when we find ourselves in these um, diverse communities to seek to exist as the body of Christ and to be the church uh, Catholic, right? Small C church. And so we know that that's one of the marks of the church. So I, I want to ask you just to give us some more maybe practical ways that we can love our different neighbor in the ENC community. 
how do we cross all of these boundaries of difference carefully? How have you done that carefully in the many diverse contexts and communities you've been a part of, have you ministered to or led? Uh, how have you done that carefully? How can we love our neighbor in practical ways um, on our campus? Well, um, so I wanna say that it's not something I've done, it's something I'm doing because I'm always learning how to do it better. Um, I don't think it's something you arrive at. By nature, by natural, I think, um, the way we've been brought up, we are comfortable with things and folks and we're, we're comfortable with the familiar. The unfamiliar is uncomfortable. We, we don't like change. Um, I don't know anybody that walks around excited about, oh, we're gonna change today. No, I, most people aren't walking around looking for change. Most people are looking for what works well and what is comfortable and is not gonna make their life have to shift too much. But I think what God has called us to, and, it's, and it is, I think, part of the, um, the essential portion of our faith is understanding that God has called us to welcome and to make space for differences. Diversity was always a part of God's plan. Before I even get to diversity in people, I mean, just look at all of creation. When you look at the creation story, it is diversity personified. Every plant in all their iterations and forms, every animal that walked the ground that was in the ocean, that was in the, every bird that was in the sky from those that could fly to those who could not. Um, every insect, everything that was created shows the diversity, the creativity of the God that we serve. So this notion that we should only be comfortable with what is like us, walks like us, talk by, talks like us, acts like us, looks like us, behaves like us, thinks like us, that's not the handprint of God. The handprint of God is diversity. Um, which means then we should ever be growing in what does it mean to accept and to welcome differences. Um, you know, anytime all cells are the same, in science, it says you have cancer. It is only when cells are different and they are working against each other and helping and you're learning how to, how to, how to get along that you have a healthy, thriving body. How much so, how much more so for us in the world? Um, I am learning. I am learning, I, I, it's, it's not even something that I think I do well, but I'm always being challenged to do it better. Let me give you an example. Um, and it's a current example, I think. Um, especially as it pertains to differences. First of all, I think if we're ever gonna get to a place where they understand this whole reconciliation bit uh, and what does it mean? You know, the, the scriptures are true, it says, we must learn to love people like we love ourselves. Now, the question is we have to ask ourselves, do we really love ourselves? For those of us who love ourselves, then 
I would never give you or treat you any differently than I would want to be treated because I love myself. So I'm going to love you the way I love me. If I have, if I'm suffering from self-hate or I, I'm challenged in the way that I see myself, then of course I'm going to be challenged in how I deal with other people. And that's part of what we have going on in society. Um, and so, so, but put that aside just for a moment. Right, if I yeah. love myself well, I'm called to think the best of you and not the worst of you. So last night I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who was Korean and I was just sharing my anger with them about, um, you know, how the, the massacre that happened in Atlanta at the day spas, how, how it was reported. And this speaks to how we are, are so inclined to um, cast dispersions or to, or to categorize things that are not familiar to us or common to us in not the best light. Um, I was angry at, and I, and I know that there is a, there, 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 it is known in some regards that sometimes day spas can be, um, uh, attributed to activities that we, we perhaps may or may not, we, we don't condone. Right. But I don't know that that was the case or has been the case, but it was reported as such. So we were, it was easy for us to believe that the stories that these women who were killed because of how it was reported that they were engaged in illicit sexual activity and behavior. It was a story that was told. And I think we, in, in the general populace, I think we, we assented to that opinion and I was angry about it because the women were disparaged. The assailant uh, was considered as having a quote unquote bad day. And so, you know, they just had a bad day. You, you know, you know, we all, you know, every, and I was like, what? Um, and I said, I've been to a spa before. I've had, you know, as a pastor, you know, for rest R&R, they bought you gift certificates and they send you to a spa. And I've gone and I've had a massage and I've had a facial and it's been wonderful. It's been beautiful. I've not seen anything that's caused me to be alarmed or whatever. And so it doesn't mean that that may or may not have been happening there, but to just cast that aspersion on an entire group of people and an entire establishment. I was so happy when there were those in the, in the media who chose to tell the stories of the women to push past and to talk about those who had just gotten married, to show pictures of them and their children, the grandmother who, you know, it's her establishment, she worked there, she's trying to earn a better living, she's sending funds to family members. You know, we're so inclined to not see each other. We're more inclined to see what we want to believe of the other person that puts us in a better light than them. And so when you ask me the question, about how do we do this? How do we, how do we, how do we, how do we live in this particular way? It's allowing ourselves to see people for who they are and accept them. I've got another dear friend that has said to me, um, you know, she, she's always challenged and she says, I don't understand. I said, you've got to learn to love people for who they are and not for who you want them to be. Cause love accepts you where you are and enters a relationship and begins the journey with you. And it's on the journey 
that as you discover this relationship one with another, that the love grows and transformation takes place in the life of each individual. We don't do that well in the world. We are more inclined to put labels on each other, cast dispersions, and to accept derogatory narratives about people who are not like us because it helps us, it props us up where we are in the space that we live in and somehow makes us feel better about ourselves because we can believe something about somebody else, whether we know it's true or not. We don't take the time to see each other and to love each other. And I believe that's what God calls us to do because that's what God did for us. He saw us in our mess and loved us anyway and still pursued us so that we could enter a relationship. And it is on the journey of loving the Lord that we are transformed on the journey. So that's a long answer, but I'm sorry. <laughs> this is perfect. Yeah, I think one of the things I really appreciate there is just your emphasis on seeing each other, right? And I mean, that seems like a simple thing, but, you know, actually, I think there are a lot of practices in our culture that encourage us not to see each other, right? Like even, even like the language of colorblindness, right? We act like colorblindness is some positive thing, but, you know, there's a sense in which if we can't even see that about each other, how much are we seeing each other, right? So, but, but as you said, to be able to see and accept, right? Um, not just see and then be prejudiced, but see, to really see, not pretend that the difference isn't there. Uh, and, and not just, and also too, David, not only are we seeing, but you're learning to appreciate the value in what you see. Mm -hmm. uh, because sometimes we'll see, but we come to a con conclusion. If God has created us, there is value in us. You know, I, 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 as a child, I grew up, um, you know, I, I, I have pretty thick skin, tough skin, because I was chided for so long as, as the other in the family. And I remember, you know, a <laughs> little bit of a cruel joke. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the last of three girls. I'm the, I tell everyone I was born in exile because I'm the product of the reunion. My mom came to the States first. My father track came several months later and lo and behold, here I arrived on the scene. So I tell everyone I'm the product of the reunion, but I was born in exile. Um, but I, you know, and I used to be chided sometimes as being the mistake because I wasn't planned. Um, although I don't know that anybody plans, but anyway, I was the, I was the, I was the one that was unplanned. And I used to always say I'm the best mistake that was ever made. Um, I used to tell my friends, I tell my siblings, I was the best mistake ever made. Um, I would tell people God doesn't make junk. Um, I'm here. I, there's nothing about me. If God has created me the way God has created me, um, uh, Am I flawed? Are there flaws in me? Have I been born into sin? Yes. But as a whole, God doesn't throw me away. I'm not a castaway. Mm -hmm. Think about the, the clay and the potter, master potter in the in, in scriptures in Jeremiah, that he finds what is marred within us and he removes, he removes the, the piece that is marred, but he keeps shaping us. He keeps forming. He, we're never a throwaway. So there's no one ever amongst us. You can always find the positive. And when we meet people who are not like us, when we, we have a neighbor who comes in next to us who has different practices and beliefs and you know, ways that are different, cultural norms that are different, different than ours, there's probably beauty there if you take the time to see them for who they are and learn of them, learn about them so that you can come to an appreciation. Um, it's in taking the time to know people and know what's important to them that signals to them whether or not you value them. I serve at our food pantry 
here at the church. And it's uh, during this COVID time, it has been my most rewarding time because in the time of us being isolated from each other, it's the one place that I still get to connect with community. And for me, it's not about giving people who need food, food or, you know, food insecurity. Everybody's in the line for some, you know, life has been hard for everyone. But I've, you know, we serve about three to 400 people per week. And I have made it a, 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 a goal for myself to learn people's names so that when they come and they check in, because our folks check in, we have a database and I see them coming and I, they're walking up to me and I'll say, hey, and I'll call them by their name. And they look at me and they say, you know my name. And I said, yeah. I said, I'm trying to learn everybody's name. I said, yeah, but I know your name because you matter. Or if I greet someone, if someone comes up to me and, and um, they are uh, our Hispanic nature, we, we have a very diverse community here. I don't know all the languages yet, but you know, for my Spanish brothers and sisters, when they're coming up, I'll say, you know, buenos dias, como esta? You know, or they'll look at me or they'll, and I'll ask them in Spanish. I've learned a few phrases. I can I do use my Spanglish and, and they look at me and even if I get it wrong, they laugh and they get excited. And I said, I'm trying to learn. And they said, no, that's good. I really appreciate it. But if, for me to take the time to, to connect with you on a level that's meaningful to you means I see you. I value you. You're important to me. And what a better world we would live in if we took the time to do that for one another, rather than look for all the things that separate us. If we found the common places and value one another, then we get to start the journey of interacting. And that just those little simple steps have led people to come up who, who then find out I'm a pastor because I don't tell them I'm a pastor. And they say, are you a pastor? And I said, yes. they said, can you pray for me? And I said, what are we praying about? And they tell me, I said, well, let's stop and let's pray right now. And then that then becomes another thing that binds us together. It ties us together on this journey of humanity where I'm, in, I'm loving you out of the love of Christ that is in me and God teaching me to love my neighbor as I would love myself because I would want somebody to do that for me. I would want somebody to know my name. I would want somebody to know what's important to me and talk to me and reach me at a place that's important to who, how I identify myself. And I think that's what God is calling us to do. Amen. I was just going to say, I mean, you know, even occurs to me how often in scripture, um, you know, faith is talked about as a kind of sight, right? That even, that perhaps even to see people for who they really are is an act of faith, an act of faithfulness in and of itself. And in the story of Hagar, you know, God is the God who sees, right? The God who sees Hagar. So yeah. yeah, I appreciate that very much. Yeah, it's important. My last question um, for you, Reverend Taylor, it's the last week of March, a month where we as a nation have celebrated women's history. And um, we know that the pandemic has disproportionately impacted women throughout the last year. The role of women in the church seems to have found a place in the public square. Uh, we think about Beth Moore and even in our own denomination, the recent uh, announcement of our sister Olivia Metcalf being appointed as the district superintendent in upstate New York district. So as we think about walking humbly, right, women in the church, I think we struggle with this and, and we want to do it the right way. As a woman in leadership in the church, and as someone who's an advocate to be a voice for justice, 
how do we do those two things well? How do we, how are we a voice for justice, whether that's on behalf of immigrants or women and gender equality in the church? How do we become a voice for justice and walk humbly? Are these two things mutually exclusive or how do we do those two things well together? So none of it is exclusive one from the other. It's all intertwined together. I do think the um, do justice um, is about uh, us making a decision because I don't think we do it in and of our own strength, but we have to decide. It's, it's a decision that we take. It's a posture that we take before the Lord that if I'm gonna do justice, then I'm gonna be committed to right actions, right words, and right attitude. And a little bit of what I talked about before in terms of seeing each other and how we do that, it, it means that I'm gonna to have to do some things different than what I'm inclined to do. It means that I'm gonna to have to be a voice that speaks and says the right thing, that I, I, I speak up rather than being silent um, when I see something happening. Um, and that I have a right attitude about it, that my attitude is, comes from a place of love and not just my rights have been, I don't wanna say it that way because you know, rights get violated all the time and it's never good for rights to be violated. But if I am, if I am compelled and propelled by love, then, um, it'll cause me to be upset when rights are violated of others that I see. Um, it'll cause me to wanna have um, right words to say something on behalf, to be courageous and to speak up. And it'll mean that I will, I will engage rather than disengage or look the other way, be complicit. Um, so I, I believe that that's what do justice is about. Um, uh, the, the whole walking humbly with God, I believe is really, about how we see ourselves and how we see God. You know, to be humble means to understand that you're not it. Um, it's not about you. You are not the savior. Um, I think sometimes in ministry, we can have a Messiah complex and we think that what we do is to bring salvation. No, what we do is tell and the Holy Spirit does the work people make a decision and Christ does the saving. And so as women in ministry in particular, because I know that we are inclined to sometimes, um, I affirm women in ministry. I'm a woman in ministry naturally. Um, but me being in ministry is not about me being a woman. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a woman, I'm, I'm clergy and I happen to be a woman. And I'm in ministry because I've been called and I'm qualified and I'm equipped by God. And so therefore I serve as a service to the one who called me. And so I'm, I, I can't make myself the issue. Um, so I'm, I understand that I can only do what God equips me to do. Um, Dr. Cheryl Saunders, she is the lead pastor of um, Third Street, I think it's Third Street or Third Avenue Church of God in Washington, D.C. Um, she's part of the Church of God Anderson denomination. 
And she was also, um, she's been a, a role model for me and a mentor for me as well. Um, I remember her coming and speaking here. I finished my last year of seminary down at um, Howard University School of Divinity. Um, and she was my advisor when I finished up my last year there. Um, and I remember speaking with her and talking with her about, no, she came to, she came and ministered at my church, um, I think before I even went down there for my last year. And I remember very clearly her preaching a sermon and the line in there that has, has been kind of like a, a, a finger pushing me in my back all the way and reminding me is that God is not concerned about your abilities. He's concerned with your availability. And when you keep that before you, you're never the, you're never the issue. I can be humble before God because God is going to equip me for whatever God lays before me. And so I never, you don't make yourself the issue. God is always the issue. God is the one who is equipping you, preparing you, uh, putting the fire in your belly, putting the fuel behind you, giving you the capacity, increasing your bandwidth so that you can do the things that you don't even think you can do. God gives grace for the moment. He doesn't give you grace to put on storage. You know, um, people will say sometimes to me, I don't understand how are you able to do this and do that? And, and I said, it's a grace thing. It's really not me. God gives you what you need for the task that he gives you to do. And so if you always keep the main thing, main thing, which is God is the main thing, then you can walk humbly before God, knowing that whatever he calls you to, he will equip you to do it. And so for my sisters in ministry, who sometimes we are inclined to want to succeed because we're women, no, succeed because you're called by God and God will equip you um, there's no shortage of women who served in ministry. Just read the Bible with open eyes and you will see them. You will hear their names. And even if their name is not called, they are described. God paid attention. Jesus took note. Paul took note of all the women that were around. But they did what they did because it was as unto the Lord. Just walk humbly before the Lord. Keep Christ first. Well, thank you so much, Reverend Taylor. It's really been a joy to talk with you today, and I'm so glad that you've been able to join us on the podcast today. Thank you. It was great to be here. This was fun. <laughs> it was. It so was good indeed. to see you again. Good to see you too, Lynn David. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. And to everyone in the ENC community, God bless you. May the Lord bless you richly. Thank you.